Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Luke, welcome to the show. Thanks so much, man, for uh, taking the time to sit down and speak with me. You are uh, something like a legend in the ESR world. I'm not sure if you're aware of this, but man, over a thousand podcast episodes, uh, over a hundred million downloads or something like that. You've been at it for well over 10 years, man. Does this type of stuff you think about it? I mean, how does it feel to know that all these people are listening to and enjoying your show? Well, yeah, that's a very strange feeling to have you say that. Mm. Um, Cause obviously I'm aware that I've done all the episodes and, and all that stuff and I've been going for quite a long time, but uh, yeah, I don't, I, yeah, I just, uh, it doesn't really impact on me that much directly every day because I, you know, I'm just out, I live in Paris, not that that's anything to do with it, but I just sort of walk around, people sort of, you know, bump into me, no one cares, you know, it's just, I don't really see it much evidence of it. And then every now and then I'll meet a student, you know, a learner of English. And, you know, sometimes they don't realize at the beginning, like I had, this happens to me quite a lot. I'll just maybe at the end of an episode, uh, at the end of a, of a lesson, because I still teach in classrooms as well. At the end of a lesson, I'll sort of say, oh, by the way, you know, I've got a podcast. You might want to check it out. We There's mm-hmm. an episode on the topic that we talked about today. Here it is, and I'll show it to them. And there's there'll be one person in the class who goes, wait, that's you? Mm-hmm. <laughs> or someone else will say, oh, you've got like all these subscribers on YouTube. And wow, you've got, you know, you've got 100 million downloads. Wow, you're famous. And I kind of go, nah, I'm not, I'm really not. So it's very weird, you know, because my audience is dispersed all around the world. Um, it's not like it's there, uh, you know, I'm well known in one particular place. Instead, right. it's just very kind of um, spread out my audience. So it's rare that I kind of, li- you know, have experiences of th- that a famous person might have at all. Mm-hmm. Every now and then, maybe I'll do a live show or something and I'll advertise it on the podcast and I'll ask people to come down. And then, of course, people do come, and at the end, they'll actually form an orderly queue to kind of like say hello to me and stuff. And it's that's always very strange. Mm, so I imagine I've got the best of both worlds because I've just got the complete anonymity, and at the same time, I do have an audience who who will listen to things I have to say. So 
I'm very happy with the with that balance. I imagine it's better that way too, right? Because you get to just live a normal life. You're not constantly bombarded by people trying to stop you and get your time and all that type of stuff. But yeah, like you said, it is great to have an audience. But if I'm not mistaken, you started teaching English years before you started the podcast. Is that right? Correct. Yeah. Yeah. So what got you into teaching English? Because I was reading uh, about you and you studied media and cultural studies at university. So how'd mm -hmm. you go from that to teaching English as a foreign language? <laughs> um, I don't know if there was much rhyme or reason involved. Mm -hmm. It was more that after university, I didn't know what to do with my life, which, you know, we all know what that feels like, I think. Yeah. Uh, it's a very common experience. So I finished my degree and I was kind of lost, really. I didn't know what to do with myself. Um, and I, I, it was not a good time. You know, I felt sort of, um, yeah, sort of lost and directionless and purposelessness. Purpose, mm. yeah. Purposelessness. Uh, purpose. Purposeless. Purposeless. There, there you go. go. Yeah. I'm an English teacher. You know, you wouldn't have realized. Um, <laughs> purposeless and, and all this, you know, all those bad things. I mean, it wasn't that bad. I mean, you know, put it in perspective, but it wasn't great. And uh, for a couple of years, I was kind of like, you know, trying to trying to work out what I was going to do. And uh, so, um, you know, doing media and cultural studies, it's a great degree, but it's not one of those vocational degrees that puts you into a job afterwards. It's more like, okay, you can now sort of analyze everything. Mm. Good luck in the world. You know, it kind of, I just ended up analyzing everything all the time and I couldn't do anything. And um, I mean, a lot of people who do degrees like that, they end up working in the media in some way. And I gave that a shot, but it didn't work for me because my dad had worked in, for the BBC. He had a great career at the BBC uh, as a broadcaster and journalist and stuff. And he, you know, it was like he went to Oxford University. He had a fantastic, um, uh, you know, he did really well at Oxford, then went on to have a really great career at the BBC. You know, it was just, you know, a lot of achievement. So I think maybe for my brother and me, there was a bit of pressure there to kind of, you know, do something similar. And yet I arrived at university feeling like I had no tools at all. And I felt even, you know... Um, uh, anyway, I just didn't have the confidence and and f stuff like that. So I didn't know what to do with myself. And in the end, I decided that I needed to, you know, sort of do something else and sort of travel. Um, I remember I did some work experience at a place at a, at a broadcasting media company in London, and uh, I didn't really didn't really appeal to me that much. But the woman at the end was kind enough to sit down with me and sort of say, you know, what's up? What what are you what are you going to do with, you know, can I give you any advice? And, you know, I was like saying, oh, I just don't know what to do. And I'm not sure if this is for me. And she said, look, what you should do is just have some experiences and, you know, consider traveling. And I thought, oh, yeah, all right. You know, finally, someone actually kind of gave me the, the license to actually go and have an experience that I could enjoy, you know. Instead, I felt like I had to just focus on my career. But she said, no, just take time for yourself and, you know, travel and have experiences. And at a similar period, another friend of mine had told me about a friend of his who was an English teacher. And he sold it to me, uh, like, you know, in really, really well. He sold it very well. He said, oh, it's brilliant. He lives in Barcelona. He teaches in the morning and then he goes to the beach in the afternoon. So mm -hmm. I thought, this is for me. <laughs> and so, so I combined those two things of like, go and travel and have experiences. And here's a potential career that you could maybe do. And so I trained up to, to be a 
teacher and did the CELTA, which is the one that we do over in the UK, the Certificate in English Language Teaching to Adults, did that and applied for various jobs in various places. And there was one, there were lots of jobs in Japan. So I went off and started teaching in Japan. So that was, that was my first job. I spent two years living over there, my first teaching experience. And it actually gave me some confidence, which I was able to kind of build on. And I continued teaching. Yes. Wow, man. So this was t- 2009 you started teaching. No, Is no, that-, that was when I started the podcast. So podcast. I started, started teaching. teaching in 2000, well, 2001. So I'm Damn, quite old. I'm quite old. Tony. That was quite a while ago, my friend. Like, <laughs> Were I'm you even born? You. I was six years old when you started okay. teaching English. Yeah, yeah, I was a little baby learning to speak English. Um, mm. <laughs> but... <laughs> I'm curious to know like about your dad, because you said he went to Oxford, had this great career in broadcasting. Did you guys ever have conversations? Was he kind of expecting you to maybe go down the same path? Or did you guys talk about following in his footsteps? Or what was that like? I don't know. I don't know if there were any specific conversations. It was always, my parents are lovely and they would never be like, right now, this is what we expect you to do. Okay. And if you don't, then you're, you know, get out of this house. It wasn't that kind of thing. Um, But there was just like sort of unconscious expectation maybe or just little things like that you know my dad would say you know you could do anything you could be a lawyer he'd say you could do anything and then the things he would name would be like quite sort of difficult things to do (laughs) so it's like okay so i can do anything but only (laughs) these things and i i was into music and stuff at university and after university i was playing in a lot of bands and you know doing it quite seriously and i remember once he he kind of gave me some um, advice he said look you know the music thing's good and everything but i don't know if that's what you should be focusing your energy on as in your career and i already kind of thought of that anyway because working in the music industry is you know, being a musician, it's not necessarily a very secure kind of uh, mm. job. And um, so, yeah, so uh, I don't know. that um, He never explicitly said, you should follow in my footsteps. You know, it wasn't a kind of Star Wars sort of situation of like, you know, <laughs> join me and we'll broadcast to the galaxy as father and son. Um Instead, it was it was more just like subtle suggestions and things that made me think that I should probably do something at a similar level that he did yeah. you know mm. but what did you like about broadcasting because you gave it a try but you just said it wasn't for you I don't know I thought the I thought it was interesting I mean growing up um at home I'd observed my dad sort of talking about the news and you know it was um he would sometimes you know we would always watch the news and he would comment on on the way it was done and um, so I picked up just that sense of something about how shows were made and things like that. And how, and he would talk about the newsreaders and sort of um, critique them kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And also he made other shows. He didn't just make the news, but when he worked at the BBC in the Midlands, like regional television, he made some kind of current affairs shows and other programs. And so just sort of grew up in this household, household where we would – look at broadcasting and consider it. And so it was, I was just in that world, you know, I just kind of grew up in that kind of mindset. And I, you know, I thought it was interesting. Uh, But media and cultural studies, I mean, I think I took that degree. I didn't have that much choice because I screwed up my, my A-levels. I don't know if you know what A-levels are. No, what are A-levels? 
So uh, in in the UK, um, you take when you finish school at sixteen, you take GCSEs. These are your kind of end of school exams, your finals, and then uh, uh, you can either leave school and go off and get a job, or you go on to the next level of education, which are uh, which is college, and you take A levels. That's you tend to take A levels when you're about eighteen years old. So I don't know what the equivalent is in the states for that. At eighteen, a university. Um, eighteen is eighteen is before university, so that would be like your pre-university um, qualifications. Really, here, mm. like we go to high school till about eighteen, graduate, mm-hmm. and then right off to school, eighteen, you're starting college, doing undergrad studies. So, right. Okay. So for yeah. us, there's one at sixteen, um, and then you can choose to to go further and do what would what you would call high school, and you graduate from high school. That's A levels. And then you can go to university based on your A-level results. Interesting. So I did A-levels and I completely ruined it. I completely screwed it up in a big way. When you way. say that, you mean like you were failing all your classes or what do you mean you screwed it up? I got terrible results. I failed spectacularly so well yeah. that I'm kind of proud of it. <laughs> mm. Um I mean, you can fail and then you can got the results I did where it's like, if you're going to fail, you might as well really fail well, you know? But it wasn't intentional, right? You weren't no. trying to fail. It was just, it was just bad. Absolutely not intentional. I was just distracted mm-hmm. by lots of other things, by like music and hanging around with my friends and things like that. Typical and, teenager uh, stuff. Just typical teenager stuff. Spent yeah. a lot of the, the college, the sixth form college where you go to do your A-levels, was next to a park and I spent more time in the park than I did at the college. Yeah. And I, you know, that was, it was a kind of education at school. Mm-hmm. I'd sort of kept my head down, got fairly, you know, got above average exam results at school, but I led a very boring school life up till the age of about 16. I was just interested in sport. I just played football every evening at the weekend, mm-hmm. soccer. And then, um, and then when I got to 16, I sort of like the, the world kind of opened up in a different way when I left school and left, you know, we had to wear uniforms at school, as which is normal in, in the UK. So, you know, mm-hmm. like I didn't have to wear a uniform every day. I could suddenly start to express myself with the clothes I was wearing, started to get into music and just kind of, you know, the world opened up a bit yeah. and I really enjoyed it. And I just took my eye off the, the education side of things and I wasn't focusing on my studies. A-levels are really hard. You've got to really work hard and you've got to be very academic to do well. And I just wasn't being very academic at that time. And so as a result, yeah, really flunked, as, as you would say in the, in the United States. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so I, had, so, so I had to then go back and do more A-levels in a year. A lot of my friends passed their A-levels and went off to university. Uh, I had to kind of stay back a year and do new ones. And it was depressing and you know so anyway i had to do some new ones and um uh then and i didn't get the greatest a level results your a levels determine which universities you can then apply to right it's probably the okay. similar situation More or less the same yeah yeah mm-hmm. so there's three le- there's kind of three levels of university in in the uk you've got the the oxbridge ones you know oxford and cambridge the the very best mm-hmm. and then underneath that there's the red brick universities the well established ones in different parts of the country you know like yeah. um, Manchester or you know other places um, and then um, um, 
And then below that, there are ex-polytechnic universities, which are the newer universities. They don't have such a good reputation. It's easier to get into them. You can get your degree from them, but they're not necessarily like, you know, mm, I see you went to, yeah, yeah. you know, this you know, college. Mm, it's not really that. It's more like, okay, you got a degree from this college. All right. All right. right, right. So I went to one of those universities and they, they didn't have the, 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 I didn't basically have the choice of like, I will choose this specific thing. Yeah. Uh, instead it was like, am I going to do this thing that I'm not sure about or this thing I'm not sure about? So I did the media and cultural studies, which actually was very interesting, interesting. but not that, not that useful, not the sort of thing that's going to open all the doors. Yeah. You know, yeah. So you felt like you just had to go to university at the time? Was there no other option? Maybe to start working or do something yeah. else? Yeah. No. That was that was never really a, a, a consideration. No. No. The idea that I could have gone off and just I don't know what I would have done if I hadn't gone mm. to, to university. That was just definitely the path that was expected. And if I'd had I don't know if I'd been an entrepreneur at sixteen or something or at mm -hmm. eighteen if I'd you know been a business person and it was obvious that I I was just like waiting to just get out into the market and start, you know, doing deals and making money then sure. But I, that was not the case at all. I mean, I was still a kid really, you know? Yeah. Yeah. 16. I, I imagine that's the reason most kids go to university. That's why I went to university. It's almost just like, well, what if I don't do this? What am I going to do? So I went to school just thinking at least I'll have four more years to figure out what I want to do. Cause I knew I didn't want to go to school. I just didn't see any reason to be there. I wasn't interested in any of the degrees they were offering. And I was just like, man, I, you know, I want to do something creative and I don't want to put on a suit and tie and go punch a clock every day. So that yeah. was really the only reason I went to school because my parents went to school and they, I think maybe at like 16 or 17, they start asking. So where are you, where are you going to go? What are you thinking about? I'm like, I don't fucking know, man. I don't even want to go to school, but you just kind of <laughs> do it because you feel like you have to, you know what yeah. I mean? So yeah, that's right. What yeah. did you do in the end? I did uh, two years at like a community college in San Diego. I thought I was going to study business administration, which is like in the U.S. that's translating. I would say that's just like I'm just going to study the most basic thing to get a degree and then figure it out from there. Everybody who doesn't know what they want to <laughs> do, I'm studying business administration just because I guess it sounds good. I don't know. Yeah. But yeah, I did two years there and then... At some point, I was just going to school every day, just working a part-time job. And I realized, like, man, I'm not enjoying any of this shit. I just feel like I'm wasting my time and my life. And like, kind of like you said, it was a little bit later for me, but I started learning uh, Spanish. And that's when the world really started to open up for me. And I realized there's a whole planet out there and people are doing all types of stuff. And when I learned this new language, there are hundreds of millions of people I can talk to now. So you're exchanging different kinds of ideas, learning more about different cultures. And I was like, man... I don't know what I want to do, but I'm going to travel for a little bit. I'm just going to save up as much money as I can and just go somewhere and see what happens. So at 20 years old, I dropped out and went to Mexico for like six weeks. And I was like, yeah, this was the right decision. I was just wasting my time in school. Even today, I look back and I'm like, I should have never went to college. I guess it was good because I didn't know what I wanted to do either at 18 years old. But those two years, man, were just like a waste of time. <laughs> It it's really hard were. though, isn't it, at that age? Because yeah. there is a lot of pressure because yeah. you kind of think what I do now is going to be so important for me later on. And if I just follow my uh, uh, some whimsical idea of like, I'm just going to go to Mexico and just kind of, you know, travel around and meet people yeah. and learn Spanish and stuff, 
that's what you want to do. That's what your heart's telling you to do. But your mind's kind of going, you can't do that. That's that's no way to build your future. You know what you right. can. So it's it's a pretty frightening. It's a very frightening time. I mean, I look back on those times um, when my whole life, you know, my adult life was ahead of me. And um, yeah, I'm not surprised I was kind of, I had a lot of anxiety and I didn't know what I was doing. I felt, didn't feel very good about myself. And yeah, it's a difficult, it's a very difficult time, especially, I mean, you know, again, if I compare me and my dad, I feel like the world is a completely different place when I was 21 compared to when he was 21, especially after he went to Oxford University. I felt like for him, it was just every, all the doors were open. And he just could have chosen, I'll have a fantastic career in advertising, or I'll have a fantastic career in broadcasting or something else. And for me, it was more like, God, how can I just, uh, you pay know, rent, you know, <laughs> yeah. just make enough to pay rent to start, you know, how can I just pay the rent and also, um, yeah, have like a, a sense of self-esteem about what I'm doing. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Tricky, tricky stuff, but it uh, is tricky. Mm. Yeah. I think, mm. um, what I didn't realize at 18, 19 or 20 years old was like, you're still a baby at this age, man. You have your whole life ahead of you. And yet, of course, it's important to lay a foundation to start investing and things like that if you want to grow over time. But bro, you have so much more time than you think you do to kind of just experiment, try different things and figure it out. And even if you say, I'm going to do this, you're 21 years old and you say for the next 10 years, I'm going to dedicate myself to this. You might change your mind, man. It might be three or four years in, you're like, I don't even like this shit. And you make a completely, you go in a completely different direction. You're doing something you never imagined even possible. So I would say to a lot of young people, whenever I get a chance to talk to them, I'm like, man, just take some pressure off yourself and just give yourself the freedom to just experiment. Talk to different people, like learn about different professions, see what's possible first. Because the more you know about what's actually possible, the more you believe you could maybe end up doing something that you actually enjoy doing instead of just the default options that everybody says are available to you. I think that's something that I really wish I would have known around 18 or 20, because I probably would have taken a lot more risks knowing that I still have time to recover and that you never truly know what you're doing. We're all making this shit up as we go along to a certain <laughs> extent, right? Yeah. Yeah. But it's also confidence, right? I mean, when I was 21, I didn't have any confidence yeah. at all. And I think maybe the reason I didn't have that much confidence was because I hadn't really done much. Mm. You know, you, you gain confidence by pushing your own boundaries and by failing and trying again and having experiences and succeeding in certain things. Like those yeah. moments of success that you have really give you a boost and they make you, they really empower you, you know. And uh, so when I was 21, I hadn't, I really hadn't done anything. I'd just done what I was expected to do. I felt probably a bit of guilt, sort of middle-class English guilt as well, in the sense that like my parents would help me out with money. You know, They sort of paid my rent at university and stuff like that. Not that it was very expensive rent because I lived in a very poor part of Liverpool. Um, but still, I was getting support from my parents. You know, I, I lived at my parents' house again after I'd been to university. I came back and lived with them. So you know, I was getting all this kind of help, but it sort of didn't help my my confidence because I just felt ashamed of myself, really, you know? And it wasn't until I actually did something on my own. I had to go to the other side of the world to actually sort of find a place where I could build my own confidence. You know, I had to, for some reason, 
I didn't know why I was doing that. I didn't plan. I was like, I will go to Japan and I will sort of become confident. Right. It was more just like, all right, you know, I'm going to try this. I'm just going to go to, go to this place and have some work experience and life experience. And I didn't really realize what would happen. But as a as a result of doing what was actually quite a scary thing, um, I and and working every day, working in a job that I felt was intellectually stimulating, mm. and could get some results and having some success in that, that just gave me a lot of confidence and social confidence as well. Because being a teacher. It's all about communication and about Absolutely. using your using your own communication skills, and and Japan is a is a nice place to go uh, to uh, to build your confidence because uh, they're very welcoming and people will say Japanese people will say oh you're you're brilliant you know you're not even that brilliant but they're, mm-hmm. they're just impressed to meet you you know uh, yeah. so it's quite a good place to build up your self esteem um, yeah. But um, yeah, confidence. Yeah, it comes from failing and trying and succeeding and 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 experience. So yeah. Mm. Yeah. How old were you when you taught your first English class? Uh, that would have been two thousand one. I was twenty four. Okay. Okay. So before yeah. that, before that time, pretty much, you're from sixteen to let's say twenty four. You're kind of maybe feeling like could I say a loser? Like you maybe hadn't really done much and you didn't have much confidence. You didn't know what you were doing with yourself. And your dad is this, you know, rock star figure. He went to Oxford. He's got a successful broadcasting career. And you're like, man, what the fuck am I doing with myself? Right. That wasn't until that feeling didn't start to come to me until I'd had that sort of academic failure. When I failed my Mm -hmm. A-levels, I felt super cool. Like I thought I was a super cool rock star uh, when I was 17, 18, mm-hmm. I thought it was the coolest guy because yeah. <laughs> um, I was playing in bands and I was hanging around with all the cool people mm-hmm. and, um, you know, uh, and stuff like that, kind of being popular with girls and things. And I thought I was cooler than my dad. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, dad worked very hard. He was kind of like a workaholic. Um I mean, you know, now I'm a lot more mature and I can, you know, uh, I can see what's going on. You know, it's not all about like, you know, holding up my dad as some kind of super cool person and all the rest of it. You know, it's just, he's just a, a person living his life and me too. We all have our own path. But um, yeah, so I thought I was super cool and everything until I failed my my A-levels and everything kind of came crashing down a bit. And then I started feeling really bad about myself and like, oh God. And then, um, you know. Then when the actual real, when real life kind of really kicked in, that's when I started to uh, maybe feel more ashamed of myself and feel feel a bit low. Um, yeah. What did mm-hmm. you, do you remember what exactly you did to kind of deal with those feelings of shame and embarrassment and stuff like that? Because when you're, a, especially a young man, you feel like you're supposed to have your stuff together. You're supposed to be progressing and, and growing in terms of your finance, your ability, your skills and stuff like that. So do you remember what you did during those moments, how did you deal with those negative emotions? I think so. I don't think at the time I really understood the emotions and stuff I was feeling. I just had a lot of anxiety and a lot of sort of just general. It's I, I you know I wasn't that emotionally literate to be able to understand. Okay, I've got low self esteem because um, I'm not. I'm not. I don't feel like I'm in control of my life. Um, you know, I wasn't really aware necessarily instead i just felt awkward and i felt um a lack of 
control over my own sort of life in a sense. Um, I don't know. I don't know if this is like a cultural difference in the U in the United States. There's a lot more individual empowerment and stuff. And in the UK, I'm you know I sort of imagine me in this sort of system, this class system as well in the UK, where you kind of fit into your social class. And I'm definitely middle class. And so there's a probably a sense of maybe I felt a bit like a passenger in this kind of system where it's like okay you 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 do your studies you you go to university you get a degree in an interesting subject and then you get an interesting job and you do really well in it it's kind of the 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 kind of path yeah. and i felt like well i you know i'm just going to do this but i didn't necessarily see the link between how i really felt and the things that i really cared about and achieving that they like seem to be two separate tracks the things i i was interested in were kind of apparently on a different track to the one that I needed to be on to achieve all of that. So, mm. you know, it's more like I didn't, I couldn't really work out what was the, what the problem was. I couldn't really visualize it or communicate it. I just didn't feel right, you know, and I felt just conflicted. And I, I you know, a lot of the time I just felt like, oh, damn, you know, what am I doing? Um, and I knew that I had to work on career stuff, but just my motivation was to work on these other things I was more interested in. Today, I just feel so lucky because doing my podcast is that is this other thing, the thing that I was interested in years ago, really. And it's, you know, maybe it's a bit self-indulgent in the sense that I can just sort of focus my time and energy on kind of things that are just interesting to me, you know. When I, when I was younger, um, it was stuff like making compilation tapes and things, right? Uh, <laughs> Compilations of what? You mean like music or? Yeah, music. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. They would call uh, them mixtapes. You know, I was confused. Call them. Yeah, mixtapes. Yeah. Yeah. Mixtapes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Compilation tapes. Mixtapes. Yeah. Yeah. And I was very good at that. And I had like books and books and books full of lists of track listings. You know, with lots of arrows and where I crossed out. No, I'll put this track here. And you know, I slaved over it. And I should have been studying, but I was studying. The, these, the art of the compilation tape <laughs> instead. <laughs> I made some pretty good tapes. Um, and I feel like doing a podcast is a bit more like that in a way, except it's not music. It's, it's actually me talking. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I don't know. It's funny you say that. I feel the same exact way. Uh, when I was doing the Life in English podcast consistently, it kind of felt like that. I mean, my story is similar in the sense that I started teaching English unexpectedly. It wasn't ever something I imagined I would be doing. Sometimes I still can't believe I did it. And then I started the podcast just to give my students more listening material. Mm -hmm. Because like, you know, people in foreign countries, they don't have much opportunity to speak with real people. And of course there's content online, but if they're already connected to me, why not just listen to my podcast? So I started it and I didn't have any friends where I lived. I didn't have anybody to interview like I'm doing now. So I was like, man, what am I going to talk about? I'll just talk about stuff I find interesting. So it's music and culture and history. And I'm taking clips of other people's content and explaining it and stuff like that. So I felt much more like a curator. Like yeah. here's all this interesting content that people have no idea even exists. Let me just let it shine on my podcast. And I think people really appreciate that. And uh, I never thought of it too much as... That part of it, I never thought of it as self-indulgent, but I always kind of felt like, at least in the beginning, it's just me on a microphone just talking. Who in the world is going to listen to this shit? Like, I'm not that I'm not that interesting, man. So that's when I stopped, like, in the beginning, I would just ramble. I'd pick a subject and start talking about it. 
Mm-hmm. And I realized like, man, this, this shit is boring. Like I, even I wouldn't listen to myself just ramble for an hour about nothing. So then I would start writing episodes to make them much shorter and more concise. And mm-hmm. that's when I really found my sweet spot because I'm much better at expressing myself writing than I am just speaking off the cuff. So I would write an episode about something interesting and then just read it. And people would have no idea that I'm just reading something, you know what I mean? So it's still a nice listening experience. So that was kind of how I got into podcasting. And to be honest, man, I don't know how you feel about it, but it's almost like therapeutic in a sense, because you get to kind of like explore your thoughts and ideas and kind of put them on wax, so to speak, you know, you record them and share them with people. And by the end of it, like, I don't even know how to explain it. You feel like you've um, not got something off your chest, but now I know what I think about this thing. And I've hopefully been able to take the listener on some kind of journey with me. And it's just one of the most fun things in the world, man. I just love podcasting. Yeah, definitely. I think there is something cathartic about it, something therapeutic about it. I mean, you know, yeah. there's there's talking therapy, you know, which is sort of a, a, um, a, a vague way of referring to types of therapy that involve, you know, talking. Um, and, you know, that's a recognized thing that, you know, by talking and sort of expressing yourself and all those thoughts and ideas that are jumbled up and packed into your head, you know, you get them out. That is actually therapeutic. Um, so yeah, it's definitely therapeutic. And I find that when I go for periods, when I have periods, when I can't do the show, um, or periods when I haven't done what I call a rambling episode, um, and I do those every now and then when I just basically say to, I, I switch on the microphone, start recording and say, okay, so here are the rules. I have to talk now for an hour and I, I have to try and make this, um, coherent, and uh, I'm not allowed to edit. I'm not allowed to start again. Right, here we go. And sort of doing that, you bring the listeners in to it. So, you know, that that's quite compelling. But also that's that's a great thing where I can just like all those ideas that have been building up, I can just kind of get them out. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, definitely therapeutic. And when I can't do that, when I go for periods where I, I can't do that, I start to get a bit frustrated. I'm kind of like, ah. Oh. Mm. You know, these ideas come to me and like, oh, I've got to get these, I've got to like, oh, chat GPT, chat GPT. I've got to talk about chat GPT, GPT yeah, yeah, or, yeah. or like, oh, the, the world cup. Oh, yeah. I've got to say some things about the world cup, you know, things happen. And if I don't mm-hmm. get to talk about them, I get a little bit frustrated. Um, so yeah, yeah, yeah. And I also find the podcast is a great way to just like, you know, combine a lot of the things like the university course that I did which is a lot of that is about, you know, cult, talking about cultural things or analyzing stuff, as I said before. And uh, it's also a, a, a vocation for me now. It's a career because, you know, I'm kind of making some money from this. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's sort of combined everything, really. It's great. It's also comedy because, you know, I can kind of be humorous in in the episodes. Uh, so it's, it's just, you know, I'm I'm very happy with it because I'm able to do all the things I want to do and it's kind of tied everything together quite neatly. And I don't have to leave the house, which is quite nice. <laughs> I can just stay in my room and uh, do it all from here. Yeah, yeah, it is great, man. I feel the same way. I remember when I was um, I was probably nine or 10 years old, the first thing I wanted to be was an actor. And then after that, I wanted to be a rapper and then a music producer and then a photographer. So I always knew I wanted to do something creative and I wanted to make content, even though we didn't call it content back then. I just wanted to create stuff. And so fast forward like 10, 15 years, I found the podcast. And kind of like you just said, you get to kind of bring together really whatever you want. That's the best thing about podcasting is there's no rules, man. You can 
whatever comes to your mind, you can just do it, see if it works. So we can talk about music. We can speak on culture, tell stories. People really enjoy that type of stuff. And like you said, you can all from the comfort of your home, just talk to the world, essentially, whoever wants to listen. And I think before that was possible, like people would just maybe have these ideas and they don't have anybody to talk to. So they would just walk around with this stuff in their head. But podcasting now gives you the ability to just put your thoughts out there. And it's really unpredictable too. I'm, I'm curious to know if you've had any experience where I'm sure you have, where people send you messages or emails, like commenting on the stuff you say in your episodes and how it changed their thought process or something like that. Right. Mm, yeah. Yeah, I do quite a lot, you know, so I'm, I'm on YouTube and I've got the podcast and social media and stuff, just Twitter really. And yeah, yeah, I get a lot of comments and feedback and, you know, a variety of different things. Some, a lot of stuff, it's just like, just like two line emails, no subject. I need to learn English. Please help me. Like, uh, okay. Uh, <laughs> and then, you know, some very thoughtful emails and things I've received. Yeah. I mean, lots of stuff. I just, I just think, I mean, not that, not that long ago, I made an episode about an email that I received, which is an extraordinary story mm-hmm. about a guy who, in Spain who had, uh, had to go and have an operation, right? Um, so the story is he, he needed an operation for a sleep apnea, which is basically a, an operation on, on the mouth. Routine operation, but it does require a general anesthetic, okay? So he yeah. had the general anesthetic. He came out of it, and he sort of didn't come out of the anesthetic very well, which is a thing that can happen with, with general anesthetics. You can go into this weird thing where you kind of um, – I don't know how to describe it really, but he was he um, he was delirious and he was super paranoid and he was hallucinating. He was convinced that he was going to die, and he was convinced that his girlfriend and all the doctors and nurses were lying to him. Uh, that he was convinced something had gone wrong, and he st- it got worse and worse and worse. And built it just became this waking nightmare that he was living in as a result of the of some reaction to the anesthetic and he couldn't sleep and it was getting worse and worse and at one point his girlfriend said why don't you listen to that podcast that you like it might help you and he was like oh, okay so she started playing it to him and apparently and it was an episode of my podcast and the sound of my voice and just the reassuring sort of um feeling this that i managed to broadcast to him suddenly turned everything all right and they're kind of uh, the, the 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 paranoia the anxiety the delusions it all went all nice no and he started way. seeing vision beautiful colorful um joyful visions of his children and all this sort of stuff he wrote all this to me in an email he's sort of saying you know thanks <laughs> um so that that's an extreme example but i have had similar emails from people saying you know um like during lockdown and stuff and I, thanks for your podcast it's you know kept me sane or and obviously uh, emails from people saying that it's helped them with their english a lot mm-hmm. and it's helped them to you know pass certain exams and get promotions at work and stuff and you know and a lot you know I've been doing it for a long time it's been it'll be 14 years uh, in a in a in a few weeks, really. So some people have been with me for ages, you know, and I really get a sense of the long-term impact it's had um, for some people. Whereas as a teacher in classrooms, you might have a similar experience, might have had a similar experience where you get rolling, you know, enrollments where people come and study with you for about four weeks or something, maybe, maybe an academic year, but you don't 
usually spend much more than like just a few weeks with each student. You like do your best to help them learn English in that time and then off they go, you know, bye. You don't really get a sense of like the long-term impact that what you're doing has on them. But yeah. with the podcast, I've definitely had a lot more of that feeling. You know, people are writing saying that when I started listening to you, I couldn't understand what you were saying. And then I kept listening and, you know, as if by magic, now I understand 90% and I'm actually a lot more confident and words come to me and all this sort of thing. And I just think, wow, that's amazing. It is. Um, yeah. It mm. really is amazing. 2009, you started. I'm curious to know, like, when you started, what was your intention? Like, when you sat down to hit record, you were trying to achieve what exactly? So I, I just wanted to make a good podcast for learners of English. I, you know, I had a kind of, I didn't take it that seriously at all, but I also did. It's odd. So I, I, I thought, so I, I'd, I'd, done, I'd done more teaching qualifications and I did a, a, a diploma in English, like the Delta. So you do the CELTA and then if you are serious about it, you do the Delta, which is kind of like a master's degree equivalent okay. in English language teaching to adults. So I did that and that was like, you know, a lot more serious and really sort of thorough as a, as a, a teaching qualification, you know, like really hard work and... Um, and it really kind of like focused my mind on the job. And, uh, you know, at that point, I, I decided, right, I'm all in here. I'm, this is what I'm doing now. I'm an, I'm an English teacher to adults. And once I'd made that decision, um, I, I, you know, I got better and better at it. And teaching, you know, full time for weeks and weeks and weeks and then months and years and years and years, you start to get a sense of how to do it, you know. And then I learned how to make a podcast and it was easy you can just do it on your computer and there are certain websites where you can just like you make an mp3 and you just upload it to the to this website and that's it and then you've got a podcast and people can find it and subscribe to it really easily and then what and this was 2009 and so i did it and no one else was doing it really there were a few others there was the bbc you know bbc six minute english um a popular british english podcast for learners of English. And there are a few others. There was like the ESL, English as a Second Language podcast. Um, who else? Um, there were others. There were some others. But I thought, right, there's definitely a space for me here to do something. And, you know, I, I, I had, I wasn't doing comedy at that time. I started doing comedy later in that year. But um, I had lots of ideas for kind of funny stuff. I didn't know quite how to make it. I'd made some YouTube videos that, that just didn't go anywhere. Um, and I thought, ah, ah, right, hold on a minute. So I've, there's like millions of people around the world who want to learn English. And I'm an English teacher and I've been doing this now for like uh, 12 years or something, however, however many years it was when I started doing the podcast. I can't remember. But I'm doing it, doing it for quite a long time. And I kind of feel like I know how to talk to learners of English now. And I can teach them. I can offer them something useful. And I can do it in hopefully an entertaining way. And I can just make these audios on my computer and publish them. So why, why won't this be a success? You know, it was like a real revelation. I was like, this is, how can this not be a success? This is, I, you know, I always sort of harbored a desire to be a radio DJ, but it was always a sort of a, a bit of a joke for me. You know, I always kind of liked the idea of like, I'd love to have my own radio show. That would be cool. But I never thought about it really seriously. But I always thought, you know, it'd be cool to be one of those DJs who's like 
Welcome to the radio show. You're listening to the Drive Time Show. We're listening, you know, and today we're talking about milk. You know, I'll just say that because I've got some milk on the table. You know, how much milk do you have in your house today? Do you know? How much do you need? What do you, what's, you know, just whatever, just talking bullshit, really. Uh, But I liked that idea. (laughs) And then here it was, the opportunity was right there, just on my computer with the internet. Yeah. And that was kind of before YouTube really took off. And uh, and so I just started doing it and I approached it with a bit of that, with a bit of the rigor and the sort of academic um, seriousness in terms of the planning that I'd learned doing the Delta, but also with a bit of my own sort of flavor of just let's make this fun and let's make this funny. And so it was kind of just a fun project really. And then it just, the numbers just kept going up and up and up. And I just thought, well, I've got to keep doing this. This is fun. Um, and there were periods in like at the beginning where I didn't do it for like six months. I kind of, I think I, I think I think I bought Red Dead Redemption on my PlayStation Three, and like that that just took up all my time. And I was you know like yeah. my laptop was over there in the evening. I was like, nah, I could do a podcast, but now nah, let's see if I yeah, can yeah, yeah. find some beavers and kill them all in order yeah. to get a special That's outfit. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, you, going back to beginning 2009 when you were doing this you said that the numbers just slowly started increasing were you Mm. promoting yourself at the time were you how are people finding the show i don't know really but um i think they were searching itunes for Mm. learning english podcast and my mind would pop up yeah um i had the email addresses of lots of my students that i'd taught over the years Mm -hmm. because i would email them like um sort of slides or whatever at the end of courses yeah. So I kind of sent emails to a lot of my previous students, just like polite emails kind of saying, oh, I've just started this podcast. You might be interested in it. And I noticed that after I'd sent those emails out, I would see on a, on a, on a map, I'd see on a little map that I had uh, showing where my listeners were, that like little red dots would pop up in places mm-hmm. where I'd sent those emails. I was like, oh, okay, so they're actually listening. And then, you know, I suppose they would maybe tell some of their friends. It started, it's like a viral kind of outbreak, you know, there were just like a few isolated cases and then it just sort of spread a -hmm. bit like the, you know, I was going to say coronavirus, but that's not a very good uh, analogy. Uh, Maybe like a zombie outbreak is, um, and, um, but, but also, I mean, you know, like the, the fact that like 3G and 4G internet came in people there were little waves of it where there was a people started to work out what podcasts were mm-hmm. um you know bit by bit it kind of picked up also i had uh, i did some videos on youtube in 2009 and they went viral i just something was right about at least one of those videos i did some interviews with people in london just asking them what's it like to live in london and mm-hmm. i made sure I filmed them quite close up so their faces filled the screen. You know, I wanted to get the faces right up close so the my my audience could really focus on what the what my, the people were saying. And it was I, I just had one really good day of filming when I got some really nice friendly people, some funny little interviews, and I cut it all together um and uploaded it. And in those days YouTube would choose the thumbnail for you. 
So you couldn't upload your own thumbnail. It would chew, it would basically give you three options. Right. There was the one that was like maybe a third of the way into the video, half the way, or 25% of the way in, just whatever the screen was at that moment, half the way in and 75% of the way in. And one of these videos, the one that was like 25% was these three pretty looking English girls smiling on the front. And I think that may have been enough to like get that video clicked a lot. And the title was quite, um, you know, the title was good because it included lots of keywords like um, English speakers, London interview, learn English or something. And so that popped up and it went viral. And that probably, that probably contributed a lot. And probably people came into the show like that. But I'm not sure really. I think it's just as people discovered podcasts and searched for learning English in their in their podcast app, then I was one of the shows that would show up. And, you know, I I never really worked on marketing that much. I decided I'd just try and market the the show by making it as good and and as enthusiastic as I could make it really. Um, And hopefully that people would just like it and recommend it and and stuff like that, you know? Yeah. Mm. So just like an organic thing, just slowly grew over time. Yeah. Uh, Was there ever a time when you felt like, it wasn't what you should be doing. You ever think about quitting the podcast? No, <laughs> ever. Um, seriously, no. I always, they're, they're, I guess they it came, they came to a point where I just thought, oh, I just. No, I never really thought about quitting it, except maybe those times when, in the you know, maybe the first couple of years where it wasn't quite as big, and I just kind of didn't feel. Comp- Feel, feel compelled to do it and I was distracted by you know Red Dead Redemption or whatever it was at the time but no I never really thought I'd quit because I enjoyed it too much mm. and I just had too many ideas that I wanted to do and I just thought no I don't, don't want to stop doing this I, I still haven't done that episode about you know um, Muhammad Ali that I really want to do or yeah. something you know yeah that's interesting man that's so I think I'm it's lucky been... as well, I have to say. I think I'm kind of lucky. There's a certain amount of privilege involved in the sense that, you know, I had a job teaching English and that, you know, I had a pretty decent job in London at a good school teaching English. They gave me a permanent contract. I had my own place. And so, you know, there was the sense of security, which then allowed me to to do it. And also being, you know, I don't know, <sighs> I don't know how much of it is just like white privilege or, or what, but you know, just that sense of like, you know, I, I speak quite well, and so, you know, you know, do you know what I mean? Yeah, but yeah, people yeah. around the world, they're like, oh, I'm learning English. I must learn English from a British man who speaks. Man. Yeah. yeah, I must learn English from a British man who speaks English correctly. The Queen's English, yeah. and so I kind of fit the bill in that regard. But I'm always kind of. Um, I'm I'm aware of that, and you know I I I, I think maybe there's I, I wonder sometimes what my listeners think, you know, and and it, maybe it takes them a while to work out that I'm I don't sort of fit a kind of stereotype that they might expect. That actually I'm a bit weirder and a bit more uh, I don't know, a bit more strange and a bit more humorous and stuff than they think. Like they, they, I think a lot of people, when they listen to my show, wherever they are in the world and they hear my voice, they imagine me to be someone else. They think that I look like someone else. Like I've, I've had this lots of times. It's kind of a meme that I've got 
which is that mm. when people hear my voice, they think that I'm that I sound like maybe um, the guy from Downton Abbey. You know, um, no, the main sure character in Downton Abbey. Do you know that show? I don't. Is no, it's, it's a show. Sh- huh? Is that a British show? Yeah. So oh, it's okay. a it's a show about um, a kind of lord who lives in a big house in the countryside in England. It's a sort of upstairs, downstairs kind of thing, where upstairs you've got this aristocratic family and they're all very posh and, you know, they're, they're, he's an earl and, you know, lords and ladies living in a very posh house. And then un- yeah. downstairs there's all the staff who work down there. And it's, you know, interesting sort of drama, but so very kind of you can imagine a guy in a tweed suit sort of member of the royal family or something like that mm-hmm. so that's maybe what some people expect me to be like you know they imagine i'm this kind of well-spoken english gentleman and then you know and that's not really what i'm like um and it, when they actually see my face they 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 realize i'm actually more like luca modric the um the football <laughs> the soccer player do you know him yeah of course yeah yeah <laughs> people People, you know, I just noticed that from comments. People are like, huh? I'm learning English from Luka Modric. I yeah. thought you looked like, you know, I, I, you know, I, I, this is the first time I see Luke's face. He looks different than I expected, you know. Yeah. <laughs> I think people appreciate uh, that. Though. I think um, most English teachers, especially the ones I see online, they kind of have that sense about them. They present themselves as the traditional teacher, and I'm here to teach you, and I'm professional, and whatever. But I think people appreciate the quirky kind of unconventional characters who kind of just say what they think. They're not afraid to be themselves, especially on a podcast. I'm going to listen to you for an hour. I want to listen to you, not necessarily some, you know, polished up kind of artificial version of you. And I think when it comes to podcasting, at least what I've experienced is the more authentic you are, the more yourself that you are, the more of a loyal following you can build and the more people kind of appreciate it. So um, maybe it's uh, kind of weird for you, but I'm sure that's why people gravitate towards you because they're learning English, but from a really just genuine, entertaining dude, you know? Oh, that's nice. Nice of you to say that. Because sometimes I wonder, you know, um, I suppose, yeah, I should own it a bit more. But um, (laughs) yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, uh, also part of, I I do think there's to an extent, there is a certain level of presentation though, and first impressions are important. And I just, I've learned that as a teacher in classrooms, that when you go into the classroom on on day one, that you should probably tick certain boxes. You know, I just learned that teaching that I should dress pretty smart on the first day. I should be kind of a bit more serious and maybe seem a little bit more strict on day one. And this is coming from, you know, experiences teaching in language schools where at the end of like the one school I worked at in London, there was quite a lot of pressure on the teachers. The students were paying a lot of money. They were traveling, you know, from different countries and coming to study at this school with a good reputation where the, the standards were very high. And on day, and the morning of day two of their course, they'd be given a little feedback form. Are you happy with your course? Are you happy with this? And, it, and if they tick no, then it was serious that, you know, the, the manager would sort of say, what's the, what seems to be the problem? And at the end of the course, they would be given a full on feedback form where you'd be graded, you know, on your teaching and stuff like that. And, you know, so there was quite a lot of pressure. So you learn that, You've got to make a right, the right first impression. That you've, that you've got to main, you've got to kind of do both. That you've got to come across as quite serious and qualified, and you know, pedagogical. But at the same time, on the other hand, you also do the 
you know, quirky, enthusiastic, original kind of be myself stuff, but never do that too much because people eventually stop taking you seriously and they might like you, but then remember they're paying to take an English course and they've come for a specific reason. So you still, at the end of the day, you've got to you know, be quite serious. So wear a jacket at the, on day one. <laughs> um, and if I haven't cut my hair, you know, wear nice shoes, you know, just mm. yeah, stuff yeah. like that. So I kind yeah. of always remembered that. And that's important. You've got to kind of put a frame around what you're doing right. to an extent, a, a kind of acceptable frame around it. Mm-hmm. Um, again, another, another thing that sort of relates to that is an, another example of that. I remember once at the school, um, there were some people coming, people came in, some publishers came in, uh, dictionary publishers, and they had a, uh, they were from, I think it was the Oxford Dictionary or Collins Dictionary, I can't remember. But they came in and they used the teachers as a focus group to ask for our opinions about some dictionary cover designs that they had, right? I don't have an example to hand, but... um, so they asked us which ones they thought were the best, which ones they, we expected the students to like, which ones gave certain impressions and stuff. Um, um, and we all kind of, ex- you know, one of the questions was, which ones do you, th- which dictionary do you think the students preferred? Which ones do you think they all said was the best? And so there were dictionaries that had different designs. One of them was like modern, fresh looking design, sort of um, quite informal looking. And then mm-hmm. some others. And, and another one was was like old fashioned with an old fashioned kind of um, serif font on it. You know, you know, the sort of thing like an old fashioned dictionary font. Uh, hold on. I don't know if this is on video, Tony. It is, but you're it good. Don't right. worry about it. Okay, there's audio people listening as well, probably who can't yeah, he's see. He's grabbing this, his dictionaries at the moment. I've got a couple of dictionaries here. So the one, um, the blue one here, is the Longman Language Activator. It's kind of got like a Helvetica font, you know, just blue, bright yellow, red. This is a really good dictionary. The other one here is a, the pe- a Penguin English Dictionary, black or dark color, um, a more old-fashioned looking font on it. Yeah. Now. I kind of thought this this one might be the more popular one because it seems very sort of what's the word for it clear and and modern exactly. vibrant, right yeah vibrant clear and modern and and you know and so on but the students all went for like the dark serious old fashioned really? looking dictionary yeah which I was surprised at too and I just made me think this is interesting so our learners of English. They think of this as being like an, a serious academic exactly. sort of thing that they're doing, and they want the history. They want the kind of um, the gravitas, you know. Mm. So I don't know. That's that's something as well. Like uh, my logo <laughs> is kind of a mix of the two things. It's kind of a bit modern, but it's also got a bit of a traditional look to it as well. It looks a yeah. bit like a London street sign. It um, does. I'm looking at it right now uh, over there in the corner. It's nice, man. Yeah. Did you make that yourself? My brother did that. He's a graphic okay. designer. That's nice. I'm opening the window here because I'm, 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 I'm actually kind of warm. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen 
premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. But speaking of that specifically, those examples you gave, I'm curious to know what's your methodology or your style in the classroom when it comes to teaching? Because some teachers will take the approach where it's like, here's the lesson for today. And here are these words repeat after me and class is over. And then there are others kind of like myself, which is much more of a conversational approach to where I'm going to speak to you more or less the way I would speak to anybody from my country. And we're just going to have conversations about certain topics. I'm going to correct you along the way, help you express yourself in more detail and things like that. So what's your approach? Sort of a bit of both. I think mm. that I do the conversational thing where I try to be sensitive to the students and try to listen to them and try and pay attention to them and stuff. But also I try to um, be like a kind of maybe an old a traditional teacher as well. And in the sense that I will, you know, I'll, I'll for sometimes I'll be at the board and I'll teach them and I'll kind of tell them what to do and say, right, repeat after me. You know, so you can, I like to mix it up and do try and do both. It's a bit exhausting, um, but it's a, a combination of the two. Uh, but I think probably, I think probably my students would say I was more like you. Mm -hmm. I'm probably kind of funny and approachable and conversational and relaxed and stuff. But in yeah. the back of my mind, I've always got that voice going, no, you need to be doing this properly. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, you need to be doing this seriously. Remember my first, some of my first experiences teaching in London, I would, I would be, drawn to the funny relaxed approach and my students would respond to it and then mm. i'd be getting stressed going no but i need to be serious i need to be a serious teacher i remember saying that to my students and they would all laugh mm. now they'd laugh at me going and, and repeat it back to me and say oh he always says he needs to be serious like you know going for a drink with some of my students uh if they met my brother or something They'd like they'd say, "Oh, Luke's very funny." Sometimes in the lesson, he just says, "But I should be a serious teacher." So, I don't know, Tony. <laughs> I don't know really. I don't. I haven't got it all worked out. I just sort of like try and try and do the best of both worlds all the time. And how how long was it after you started your podcast that you found? a sustainable way to monetize because uh, before we did this recording, you know, you mentioned that you struggle with the idea of free content and paid content. I made an episode about that as well. So when did that start for you and when did you even get the idea to monetize? Hmm. Um, yeah, I guess, I guess it must've been about maybe I, I think I always knew at the beginning that that was a possibility, but the infrastructure wasn't there at the start, right. except for PayPal donations. 
but uh, there wasn't really like the same infrastructure that there is now. You know, everything's kind of monetizable in lots of different ways. You know, you've got Patreon and automatic ads and online courses and stuff. So I didn't know at the beginning. I kind of just vaguely thought, oh, you know, I'll keep doing this. And if I do it well enough, someone will notice me and they'll just give me loads of money. You know? <laughs> uh, or, or I thought it, this might lead to something else. It might lead to a, a job uh, at the BBC or whatever, yeah. you know. Um, <clears throat> but then, um, then I don't know how, but I kind of worked out that you could do affiliate ad- advertising and stuff. My very mm. first thing was Audible. I think they okay. got in touch with me. Not that it was Audible, but some other company that was doing that was managing affiliate partnerships with Audible. I think they contacted me or I, I, I heard so many podcasts where Audible were sponsoring them. I just yeah. thought, well, what's going on here? How do we do this? So I, I, I looked it up and I found one of these companies and I sort of wrote them an email and said, how do you, how do I, how would I get sponsored by Audible? And they wrote back and said, okay, this is how you do it. You have to apply for the affiliate program and blah, blah, blah. So I did that. And then, and then I realized, oh, wait, and they sent me like a, an affiliate link audibletrial.com slash teacher Luke. And they said, yeah, um, for every uh, new subscription to Audible that goes through this link, you'll get $15. Oh, shit. Yeah, that was in 2000 and... God, when was that? 2015, maybe? I mean, it's it's not like that anymore. There's no way you get $15 per subscription anymore. I mean, it's amazing. Amazing that. So I was like, what? Really? So, and then in my head, I was like, you know, blip, 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 you know, look, doing the maths yeah. in my brain. I was thinking, yeah. wait a minute. So I could, I could make some money. Any money for me at that point was like, exactly. great. Like, brilliant. Wow. $15. Yeah, yeah, and so, you know, I thought, right, I just need to try and encourage people to, to, to sign up to Audible. And there was yeah. that, there was that reluctance as well of like oh i don't want to be doing that i don't want to like start selling out man but then i thought ah it's all right (laughs) (laughs) i don't want that real quick like "Eh, no rent one first put that link in the description one time you know (laughs) yeah but then i thought well if i can sort of advertise audible in a in a in an entertaining kind of way then i think it's okay and I think yeah. that my audience will understand that, you know, I'm not just doing this for free, you know, there's got to right. be some financial incentive. Otherwise, what's going to happen? I'll end up spending all my time on this. And then my wife will get really upset with me because I'm not bringing any money home. And then, you know, she'll leave me and then I'll just be, it'll be Luke's depressed English podcast. Yeah. Um, and that's no good. So anyway, so I, you know, did that. And then, and then, um, and then other poten- other sponsorship things turned up. Like I noticed that that you know there were more and more YouTubers doing English teaching who were like you know ridiculously successful. Like people like mm-hmm. um, English with Lucy, for example, who appeared. I don't know when. Oh, I can't remember now. But um, she appeared and sort of poof, her views skyrocketed. And I noticed that every now and then she or maybe some other people were sponsored by a like a online teaching platform. Mm-hmm. I thought, hello. Uh, hi, maybe you want to sponsor. Maybe you want to sponsor me too. So I, I think I wrote to them and said, "Oh, you know, how do how do I you know sort out sponsorship with you guys?" And they they wrote back to me, and we had an arrangement. And I probably negotiated badly and didn't get as much money per sponsorship promo as I could have done, but I was fine with it. And I 
you know, mentioned them at the beginning of every episode. And that actually brought me, you know, um, a, a sort of approaching a wage, you know, and really it's just the business grew up around me. So right. really the, the thing was to try and get my numbers up to a certain level and to focus on that. It was always just, I just have to try and make the content good. And then once you build the house, once you kind of build the thing, you can then start, I don't know, this metaphor is no good. You build I'm a house and then you can it. sort of slap advertising on on it. Right, right. <laughs> um, you know what I mean? Uh, so I don't know. I'm not the best business minded person, mm. actually. Um, so I'm not necessarily the right person to talk to about monetization, but okay. uh, sponsorship, with an online teaching company. And um, and then uh, the option, when I moved to Libsyn, the podcast host, I noticed um, that they had the option to create your own premium subscription. Mm-hmm. And they also would develop an app for you. And then I saw, right, this is an opportunity. Because I knew that I, I knew that really to 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 make money from what I was doing, I would just need to capitalize on my audience in some way. And that the, the what I should do is build an online course. And then you kind of funnel people towards your online course, right? It's evergreen content. But I just couldn't get my head around this. And I couldn't just manage it. I wasn't organized or entrepreneurial enough to build the course, build the online platform, build the landing page, da, 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 the email list, the da, 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 da. You know, I'm just like, I just want to make an episode about, you know, uh, like toilets zombies. And, and use TikTok and shit like that. Yeah, yeah. I just want to do, I want to talk about toilets with my friends for 45 minutes and then yeah. just publish that, please. Um, yeah. Um, so I didn't, I, I, I wrote loads of material. I was going to write a whole online course and I wrote a lot of it and spent a year trying to work on it. It just wasn't working out for me. So I thought, right, I just need to do something. So I'll, I'm going to do this other idea, which is to use the Libsyn premium subscription, set, create my own app, and then uh, use that as the platform where I'm going to um, basically produce sort of bonus episodes that people pay for. And so I just went for that. And I, and I did that. And that, that was like my version of Patreon. I could have done Patreon, uh, but I wanted people to be able to listen to my bonus episodes in their, on their mobile phone in the convenient way. I didn't realize Mm -hmm. that Patreon does issue RSS feeds for podcasts. I think maybe when I was doing it, that that wasn't quite clear. Mm -hmm. Anyway, that's not what I chose to do. So I essentially did a Patreon style model and that, that, that worked well. Uh, it's a bit exhausting, though, the monthly bonus content option because it, you, you know you've got to produce it and you, you're tied in to making stuff every month. It's like, oh god. So it's 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 good thing I enjoy doing it. If if it was, right. if I didn't, then I'm not sure it would work. You know, I've always tried to build it around doing something I like doing. You know, um, that's kind of like part of my business model is to ensure that i can do what i like doing yeah um rather than chasing the dollar all the time and then just tripping up and falling flat on your face as the dollar sort of like keeps going and you're like ah instead i'm just like no i'll make the dollar a cup of tea sit down with it um would you like a biscuit you know (laughs) (laughs) that sort of thing but let's go back to the first one you said audible was like your first 
sponsor or affiliate program that you got involved in, do you remember the actual conversation or negotiation, like how you approached them and what the requirements were to qualify and stuff like that? Um, I just I just Googled it. And then I I think I found like a page um, for Audible uh, affiliates, something like that. Um, and there was an application process on the website. I didn't negotiate anything. I just applied for it. And they said, okay, here are the terms. And I went, cool, click. <laughs> that was kind of it, really. Now I'll start doing my stuff. And I'll promote it, and I'll and I uh, I created a, a a different URL. You know, it mm -hmm. rerouted it through my website, so it wasn't right. audibletrial.com/slash. It was like uh, you know my website URL slash audible, right? Uh, and that made a difference. It made it easier for me to say it. People could remember it e more easily. And that brought some some money in. So it was just that applying for it. You know, the 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 landscape, the business landscape changes. I don't know if it would be as easy to 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 you know to get that these days and with so much content out there the terms might be different you know the general terms it's probably harder to get like as i said 15 dollars that's probably like changed now i don't know why or how um so there's that but um at the beginning monetization was a stream it was just like trick a trickle of money here, a trickle of money here, a trickle of money here. And I just thought, I'll just sort of like do get all these little trickles going and it will slowly, you know, um, fill this pot. And, the, and then I just, some of those trickles became a bit um, more fruitful. Mm -hmm. Not that a trickle can be fruitful, but, you know, <laughs> um, those trickles turned into um, bigger streams. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah. Are you, are, 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 oh, go ahead, go ahead. I was going to say, are you looking at, well, you must be looking at, um, ways of, of, of monetizing as well. Um, yeah, definitely. going forwards. I mean, yeah, absolutely. From the beginning, I never really even thought it was possible to monetize a podcast. I started at the end of 2018 and I was just doing it because I wanted to do it. And I, it's immediately when I started, I was like, man, this is, this is fun, bro. Like I was, I don't necessarily like being on camera, talking to a camera as if it's a person. So YouTube never really was my kind of thing. It always felt really awkward. So when I figured out, oh, I can just turn on the mic and just talk, this is where I'm supposed to be. So I was doing it for fun at first. And then I can't remember what it was when I even found out about monetization. I really don't remember. But I just knew once I decided I wanted to find a way to monetize, I didn't want to run ads because just... I, I hate listening to ads, especially ones that have nothing to do with me. And I understand for the producer, they need to make their money. So whatever. But personally, I just didn't want to put ads on my show. And I didn't really have that many listeners at the time anyway. So how am I going to even secure an ad spot? So I just went for a couple of years just doing it. And it was just like, we'll see what happens. And then Patreon came along. And I thought about that for a while, but people were getting canceled on Patreon, getting deplatformed and stuff for things that they were saying, like Sargon of Akkad and people like that. And I was like, ah, I don't really want to build a house on that foundation, yeah. knowing that just pull the rug out from under me at any time. So I just kept doing my thing. And oddly enough, man, I was doing research for an episode about connected speech. And this blog article came up and it was from an English teacher's website or a podcast for learners of English. And then I was just me being curious. I started looking at the rest of their website. And he had a membership 
which is basically like we do two episodes a week. One is free. And if you sign up for the membership, you get the bonus episode. And I was like, yo, this is what I've been looking for. This is amazing. So I emailed the dude and asked him like, hey, how'd you do this? I want to do something like really similar. I also have a podcast and he didn't want to tell me how he did it. I was like, all right. That's fine. So I basically reverse engineered his website to build my own, just figuring out all the technology that he used. And then I set up my stuff in 2021 and I think like October or something. And in the first month, it was like profitable. I was covering all my expenses and I had just a little bit of money to put in my pocket at the end. Yeah. And I was like, I'm just going to see how big I can grow this and just keep reinvesting the money to grow it bigger and bigger. But uh, the problem was... I couldn't find a way to get enough people to it and then actually sign up for it. I just didn't really understand where the value was and what I was doing because in my mind, I didn't want to just ask for donations because I just knew 98% of people, you ask for donations every episode, they're not going to fucking donate, especially when Mm -hmm. you're just giving it away for free. So I was like, how can I build a business around this thing? Well, people can understand the majority of what I say, but when I have guests on or I use other content, it gets more difficult. So I'll give them transcripts, a vocabulary guide explaining the more difficult stuff. We added some cool features on the website, like captions and all these cool things. And um, I thought that was going to be the business. Like it's not just donate to me and I want money, but let me give you some extra value in exchange for the membership. And just, it never really took off, man. I was promoting myself on multiple social media platforms and just constantly trying to put more and more episodes out. And no matter, it seems like, kind of like you, I'm not really an entrepreneur. I have entrepreneurial tendencies, but I'm not a fucking businessman. I'm a creator. I just want to create stuff. So I never really figured out why we couldn't get this scale in terms of users. You know what I mean? And so it never really got to the point where it was like super monetizable. And it kind of got, like you mentioned earlier, you're doing this for so much time of your day and your week, and it's not really going anywhere. You enjoy doing the podcast, but like rent is due on the first and like yeah. a bunch of other stuff I want to do with my life. And these people know what I'm trying to do, but they're not signing up for the membership. So I just got it in my head. Like maybe this isn't as valuable as I think it is. And that's kind of when I decided to pivot. I'm just going to do the podcast in a way where I don't care if it makes money or not, which is what we're doing right now. And kind of just let that whole idea of monetizing the English teaching thing. I just kind of left it to the side because it was, again, I would write all my episodes. I would be working with my VA to manage the website, making videos on TikTok and Instagram and YouTube. I had two jobs aside from that. And I have a personal life. It's just, I couldn't sustain that level of production. I was like, yeah, this isn't, this isn't really going anywhere. So I don't want to stop podcasting because I genuinely love it. So let me just do it in a different way. And if at some point in the future it makes money, then great. But at this point, I I don't care because, I mean, again, asking for the donations, most people aren't going to donate. And I don't understand really how to build a business in any other way around a podcast like this. So I was like, you know what, let's just try to make a great show and we'll go from there, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Again, I feel kind of lucky in the sense that I started ages ago, because mm-hmm. really, um, the, the, the it's about just ratios or leveraging, you know, and you know you're only going to get a tiny percentage of your audience um, either buying something, paying for something, sending you a donation, or right. basically entering their card details into something. You know, it's only going to be a tiny p- uh, portion. Right. I mean, I I will like tell my my listeners okay check this thing out 
here's the link. It's in the description. Check this thing out. And it's just like a free thing or even like, oh, I did a, I had a conversation with, you know, Tony on his podcast. The link is in the description. So that basically there's a whole other episode for you, a whole other mm-hmm. conversation that you could listen to. If you like listening to me having conversations with people, there it is. How many people actually click the link and listen to the thing? Yeah. It's a tiny little portion. I mean, some will, but it's a, you know, a, a small um, a percentage. And then the percentage of those people who actually then will pay for it. So you're, you're really dividing and subdividing and dividing and dividing again. Um, and, um, and so really the only, like the, maybe the elephant in the room kind of thing, whenever this conversation happens about monetizing a podcast is you've got to get your audience to a certain level. Absolutely. And then, you know, then that portion, that small percentage, that freaking 2% or maybe 10%, if you're really good at, at the sales stuff, if you've got all the patter and the rest of it all in, engaged and and if you've got like a good web funnel you know an email funnel and all that stuff sorted yeah. out do you know what that you know what that is yeah of course i've man yeah. i've been there done that yeah yeah you've done it you know i hate all that stuff <laughs> you do, man. it's the worst but bro it's the worst thing is though you'll see maybe in three years or you'll see me going i love email funnels <laughs> when i'm like you know drinking champagne in the south of yeah, france yeah. um but, <laughs> but um yeah, that. Um, so it's you know ultimately it's about building an audience, and then once you've got an audience in place, once you've got that foundation, then you can start to to do think something. But so I'm lucky in the sense that I didn't have to really maybe I didn't have to worry so much about that because in the first five, six, or first maybe even ten years or well less five years or something, uh, that whole monetization thing didn't even really exist, and so it was just yeah. like. Instead, I was I was kind of dreaming of going. Oh, I'd love to be able to just keep doing this. I want to be able to do this. Imagine, imagine if that was possible. Um, and these days, it is, and lots of people are now starting podcasts. You know, expecting to to be able to monetize it, but it's exactly. you know you've got to wait. You've got to put a lot more of a time and effort and enthusiasm and passion investment into it before yeah. you can start getting the returns. So, yeah, I mean, you know, it's like kind of going back to that conversation we had earlier about when you're a teenager and you're kind of at the beginning of your life and you think I need to go down a certain path that's going to lead me in, in, you know, in the right direction where I can, you know, buy a house and, you know, and uh, provide for a family and stuff. But you, but it's a real risk and to just sort of do the thing that you just like doing um, and, and just hope that that will kind of lead to something fruitful. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a tricky one, but, um, uh, I mean, I like the show. I listened to the one that you did about, um, um, you know, the one with the Sam Harris clip at the beginning. Cost, price and value. Yeah. Yeah. Cost, price and value. Yeah. Very good. It got me thinking. Definitely got yeah, me thinking was, about um, the subject. It's funny you say that because I did that episode probably around the time that I was having that dilemma in my head. I'm like, man, like, should I just keep working on it and just like persist and keep going and keep going, build the audience bigger and bigger. And then I heard that clip somewhere on YouTube and it just kind of reinforced the idea in my brain. I'm like, you really have to be clear in your mind about what value actually is and what value you're providing to somebody when you're asking them for money. And kind of like you just said, I think a lot of us make the mistake of believing that it's 
as easy as it looks on the screen when we see other people doing it, man. Joe Rogan's got a podcast and he's making who knows how much money or Luke's got a podcast and a premium subscription and these people are making money doing this. I could do that. Let me set up my website and my email funnels and my logo and blah. Listen to my podcast and support if you want. And people just don't realize, kind of like you said, you have to have a substantial audience on your hands that's actually engaged before they even think about supporting your show. Like you need to give them a real reason to support it because mm-hmm. there's so much free content out there especially today you're competing with literally everybody else on the internet who wants these people's attention and you're not only asking them for their attention but also their money you know so it's just i think personally i tried to monetize a bit too early and if i was speaking to any other potential podcasters right now i would say man just assume you're not going to make money for the first 10 years And then ask yourself, do you really want to do this? Because money shouldn't even be the objective. Obviously, you want to do this for a living. But when it comes to creative work, man, it really is like trying to make it in the NBA or the Premier League or something like that. Everybody wants to do this. So you really think you're just that good that episode one, you're going to be a millionaire off this? It's just not going to work, bro. So I think we all kind of need to think much more deeply about what it costs to do this, what price people are willing to pay for it, and what value are we actually giving to these people because we may think our show is the shit but a lot of people like you said maybe 98 or 90 percent of your audience is just kind of like i like it but if it disappears tomorrow i'll find something else to listen to and i think a lot of podcasters don't want to hear that about their own show you know what i mean so yeah yeah and and especially now um the market is quite saturated you know there's like millions of podcasts i mean you know I thought Tony that that, um, that life in English is, is is still a good sort of potentially a good idea. Or I mean, I don't want to now. You've 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 like you've made your decision now. But like, I think um, you know it's important to have an edge or an angle. You know, yeah. and um, I think maybe and and a potential audience, and you've got to stand out a little bit. Um, so you know, doing interview show is is it's it's great, and it's clearly something you really want to do. But um, I don't know. If, I, I I still think maybe there's some value in sticking with the kind of um, targeting learners of English with what mm-hmm. you're doing because that's a large market. But um, yes. what do I know? You know. Well, you know a lot, man. I mean, you're one of the pioneers of this stuff, man. So I would say you're definitely onto something. And I st- to this day, I kind of think about it because I was confident in my decision to kind of pivot just because by trying to monetize something I genuinely was just passionate about, I slowly started to lose passion for it because then it became like, I, I'm trying to manage and build a business over here when all I want to do is make the podcast. And then, like you said, when you have the premium subscription and you're doing bonus episodes and everything, you just feel the need to just be producing just to produce. And I'm writing all my episodes and trying to put like energy and thought into them and make sure they're good. And you can't rush that kind of thing. And, People were never complaining about the volume of episodes, but just subconsciously, I'm like, no, I need to be producing, man. These people are paying me good money to do this. So then it got to the point where I'm even stressed just sitting down to fucking write an episode. I'm like, man, this is not what this is supposed to be, bro. I'm supposed to be enjoying this part. This is what I want to do. You know what I mean? I know know exactly how you feel. I I have all those feelings too. Really? But also, on the other hand... I, mean, I don't believe in horoscopes and stuff. I don't believe in star signs, but sometimes they're quite a good method of of explaining like personality mm. or something. I'm a Gemini, so I'm always in two minds about everything. 
And that's kind of come through maybe in this conversation that I'm always got like two things going on at the same time. Where yeah. on one hand, I sort of think, yeah, we should just sort of do follow our heart, do the thing we enjoy doing. You know, Confucius said that uh, the person who chooses the job they love never works a day in their life, you know, yeah. uh, you know, and all that stuff, follow your passion and just do follow your dreams and just do what you enjoy doing. But then on the other hand, there is something to be said for the just the value of like the discipline and the hard work and just getting down to it and those sort that sort of work ethic uh, as well and i think the maybe the the it, it, the best thing is when you combine those two things and you in the difficult times when you're not inspired you just fall back on that work ethic and you just kind of like you know keep plugging away and you just keep mm-hmm. going and you're exhausted and you're like, oh, fuck this. But then, and you do 10 minutes and you're like, oh, that's it. But then you, you know, you do something else and then you're like, oh, I've got to do 10 more minutes. And, you know, you, you've got to use those methods to, to, to keep pressing on, like mm-hmm. just have a little clock on the desk, 10 minutes of work, go click 10 minutes, oh. right. <sighs> 10 minutes are up. Okay. Do something else for 20 minutes. And then sort of 10 more minutes or something, you know, so that, so a bit of self-discipline, can can help as well you know so it's 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 not just um let's just do what what i enjoy doing but i think there's agreed you've got to kind of like the carrot and the stick you've got to you've got to do both you know yeah 100 percent, man 100 percent. so i think there's definitely validity to it sometimes i think like kind of like you said especially today when we're just inundated with so many different podcasts and it's really hard to get people's attention because I don't know about you, but like when it comes to podcasts specifically, there's maybe four or five that you'll listen to regularly. And if somebody mentions a new one, it's like, I'll get to it eventually. You know what I mean? So to convince somebody to put you in their weekly lineup is not as easy as it was in the past. So I was thinking like, man, I'm not, my friend Mateos, he actually convinced me to use my existing audience and just keep doing the same thing, but just do more of a different format like we're doing right now. Because in my mind, I was like, I'm just going to start fresh because it has nothing to do with people learning English as a foreign language. But then I it's like starting from zero today makes absolutely no sense when you spent the past, what, four or five years building up this audience. And even if just a small percentage are the ones that truly follow and listen to every episode, that's a lot more than zero. These people yeah. know you, they love your content. So that's when I decided I'm just going to keep using the same lane I've built and just do it in a format where I don't care if it's making money. I still enjoy every second of it, you know, but then I'm like, okay, there still was, and I think there still is a huge space in the ESL sphere or industry for people who with a podcast like yours or like mine, who kind of do it in a more quirky, authentic way. And people like that, but it's just like, you know, it really is just a question of how much time can I dedicate to it? Mm. And when it comes to the way I used to do it, that time has drastically decreased. And it seems like understandably the majority of people either can't or won't support it financially. So it's just like, I mean, how am I going to sustain doing this with just the hope one day that doing it this way is going to be monetizable. That doesn't make sense. Cause then I'm only doing it with that in mind and that's fucking dumb. So I just figured I'll do it this way. And part of me thinks I'll still maybe do some kind of like sub show where I focus much more on the monologues and I do it in the traditional way that I've always done it. But I don't know. I'm still thinking about it, man, because. Why can't you do both? Because I I do that. I have, I have interview episodes. Yeah. That's what I mean is I'm thinking about doing both on the same show and just kind of doing it 
way without really worrying about the volume I'm putting out or anything like that. And maybe just put a link and if people want to support, they can. I feel like that's the most organic, low pressure way where I can just do my thing. And if you want to support, you can, because I tried to build a business around it, not just with the transcripts and vocabulary guys and all that, but by talking to so many English students over the years, they would all complain about the same thing. We have no one to talk to. So I was like, okay, nobody seems to be solving this problem. And I think I know why a lot of English teachers, it's hard to scale yourself, right? You might do a one-on-one class with somebody, but all these people, you can't talk to all of them at the same time. So there's no business there. So I'll sell a course. And that's what a lot of teachers do because you make it once and you can sell it a million times if you want. But I've always had an issue with that just because you're not going to be fluent in a language by taking an online course. You're going to become fluent by talking to real people, by living your life in English. That's where the name of the podcast came from. So I'm like, okay, nobody's solving this problem. It seems obvious to me. I'll create a Discord server where everybody can come and we can talk, I'll host group events, I'll find a way to bring other natives on. And I tried to, I worked as hard as I could at that for like a year. And what I realized is even the people who complain about it all the time, I need people to speak with, I want to practice, blah, blah, blah. You give them, you can open it up for free. I experimented with different price points and everything for the membership, gave it away for free at one point. People would join for free and just never show up or interact or make an effort. I'm like, man, fuck this, bro. I'm putting in all this effort People clearly don't want this. So there's no business here and people aren't just going to donate. So I don't really see how this is sustainable, you know? So I'm always just kind of stuck in between them because I don't give, I don't care about money, bro. All I care about is what I can do with it to grow the show, pay my bills and just do this full time. But I just, maybe I was bad at communicating that and people didn't understand. I don't know, man. I still haven't figured out what exactly went wrong or which things went wrong in that path to trying to monetize, you know? Yeah. I mean, again, it's a bit like the kind of, you know, an analogy like, you know, scooping fish out of the water with a net, you know. Mm. Um, unfortunately, the nets that we use is often, there are quite a lot of holes in it, you know, and mm. loads of the fish come out, you're left with a few flapping around that you've still got, yeah. you know, uh, or other analogies like that. Yeah, I don't know, Tony, really. I don't really know. Uh, all I've ever done is, well, m- most of what I've done is focus on, making sure that um, my content is as good as it can be. Yeah. And I, I don't know if I succeed in that. That's like a subjective thing. It depends on people's opinion, you know. But I've always tried to just, you know, make it as good as possible, make it the audio sound good, really sort of make it, do the best I can in each episode um, and use my experience and stuff as much as possible and make it entertaining and try to build the audience. That's the foundation is just investing in the show and investing time and energy. And, um, and yeah, I guess maybe because it's 14 years old now. And so it's after a while you develop a certain core audience. Um, and that, that helps the the podcast to grow as well. And and you become established and, and all that sort of thing. Um, yeah, but you know, yeah, small beginnings. You know, everything starts small. Um, I mean, uh, for me, yeah, many years in the wilderness, so to speak, mm-hmm. really, where um, I was just experimenting with episodes. If you kind of look in my archive, there's some quite weird stuff in there. But but as I said before, you know, like about presenting, you know, wearing the nice jacket and the good shoes on day one. It's the same thing with episodes. I can do a weird episode where it's for example a, a made up story where i'm just improvising a story or or something else but 
always remembering to pr- pr- to to present it in a slightly more respectable way to say at the beginning today i'm going to tell you a nonsense story or not even say it's a nonsense story today i'm going to tell you a story and the idea is that you just have to follow the story and notice like all the phrasal verbs that i'm using in it and then i'll say i don't know what the story is going to be i'm going to just make it up as we go along i hope you find it interesting are you ready i'll test you at the end let's go and then some nonsense where I'm, but I'm using the phrasal verbs, and then uh, yeah. and then at the end, it's like, so did you notice the phrasal verbs? Here they were, you know. And I'd make that have a lot of fun, be kind of enjoying it, maybe a bit too much, thinking, oh god, I wonder what they're going to think, and hoping, fingers crossed, like I hope to someone laughs at this. I hope someone yeah. is on a bus listening to this in flipping Romania or something, just sniggering to themselves. I hope someone finds this funny. And I'd put, I put a lot of episodes like that out, a lot of episodes where, you know, uh, um, I, I know that I'm being funny, but I'm just thinking, I wonder, I just wonder if anyone's going to get it. Mm. And then even now, really, I feel like only in the last few years, like people have sort of started to pick up on the fact that, oh, okay, it's kind of funny podcast for learners of English. Mm. You know, it's only fairly recently. And I was kind of like, oh yeah, where were you eight years ago? <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, so time, a lot of it's time, but you know, again, yeah. I, again, I felt, I feel a, a certain amount of privilege in the fact that I got there kind of, kind of early. So I got, I put the time in sort of, um, early on, which puts me in an, uh, as an advantage now, yeah. you know? Um, so yeah, I don't know, get the balance, right. A balance of like having fun, enjoying it, but also being kind of shrewd about it at the same time. But don't burn yourself out, you know, just maybe take three months off and play Red Dead Redemption. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man, it's it's a challenge. Um, to be honest, I figured at this point, maybe not Red Dead Redemption, but I definitely just decided I'm going to take a few months to really not think too deeply about it. Because I think um, when you look back and you try to make sense of things, it's kind of easy to tell yourself stories about the way things were and the way things weren't. So I'd rather just kind of like distance myself from it for a bit and just do what I enjoy doing and um, and figure out what I want to do in the future. Because like I said, I'm still flirting with the idea of doing it the old way and the new way, just on the same podcast. I mean, there's nothing stopping me from doing that. But um, yeah, we'll see what happens, man. All I know is that like when you bring, well, no matter what you're doing, if you bring money into the equation, it's no longer just I'm doing this because I enjoy it. You know what I mean? And I think yeah. um, I want to get back to the place where I'm literally just doing it just because I enjoy it. And then we'll figure out the rest later. But one thing I wanted to ask you after listening to you speak was if you had to start today, do you think you would still start a podcast? Whoa. That would be so hard to start today because I even now I look around and look at other podcasts and YouTube channels and I kind of think, I, I already kind of feel like, oh, everyone's doing so much better than me is kind of how mm-hmm. I feel. I know I'm there with like 100 million uh, downloads, you know, to yeah, my man. name. But I look around at YouTube and I see you just every day, I'll just randomly go on YouTube and I, I might search for something on YouTube, like learn English, you know, something on YouTube. But a lot of the time things just will pop up. And it's just like, wow, another channel on YouTube that I'd never seen before with someone teaching English and my God, look at the number of subscribers, like millions of subscribers. And I just sort of think, Oh my God. 
Um, so if I, sorry, that's not really the helpful answer that you were looking for. If I was to start today, <laughs> that's such a hard question. That is so hard because yeah. that's like cancelling out the last 14 years of my life um, and having to try and think of... I don't know. I I, I, <laughs> I don't know. I think that probably... I, can't, I really can't imagine. That's a real lack of imagination on my part there yeah. that I can't picture my life today without my podcast, without having been doing my podcast for the last 14 years. Wow. Um, I don't know if I would do TikTok. I think I'd probably make YouTube videos. I'd probably make mm. a YouTube channel. But the problem with that is that, as you said, you end up building your house on a platform that could rug you. Um, I'd probably find ways to build an email list, Tony. The email list is the thing you own. So start like an email list. Okay, and in your podcast episodes, invite people to join the email list in order to get some free stuff like mm -hmm. a PDF or the transcripts or whatever. But collect emails because that, that's something you actually own. And that's direct contact you would have with, you know, um, an audience or potential clients of some kind. Once you've got an email list, like e people say that email is actually the most valuable um, tool for monetization. So try and build an email list. They call it a client list if you like, but an, an email list. And um, and then, you know, men work on their email funnel. Sorry, I said the dirty word. <laughs> yeah. It's interesting think, though, because... Yeah. Oh, go ahead, go ahead. I don't want to cut you off. No, I was, gonna, I was just going to say, I think that's probably the, the, the most... Uh, and that's probably the, the, the safest thing to do. But it is interesting because like the landscape is completely different today. And I don't know if I would recommend that somebody start a podcast today because I think most people don't start podcasts for the right reasons. And obviously this is just my opinion, but I just get the sense a lot of people are more interested in the money and fame aspect or potential money and fame aspect of a podcast more so than just, I have something to say and I'm going to hit record and say it. Obviously there are a lot of people out there like that, but I would, like I said earlier in the episode, I would say just really think deeply. If you never made a dollar, would you still dedicate all this time to it? If the answer is no, you should probably find something else to do. Or, I mean, give it a try or whatever, but just, you know, make sure your intentions are good because it takes a long time to build like a, first of all, figure out what you do, how you do it and what style is comfortable for you. That takes time and experimentation and developing an audience. And that piece right there, I think, is the most challenging part. It's just developing a core audience that sticks with you. Because, again, there's just so many options out there for calling for people's attention. You know what I mean? So it's really, really hard, I think, to develop something good and grow without promoting yourself on other channels at the same time. And you know? keep your head screwed on. And you, you do have your head screwed on. I mean, not just physically, I mean. Your head is attached to your body, thank goodness. But um, I mean, sort of, you know, in terms of the way you're thinking about it all, obviously. Um, and, you know, maintain that perspective because, you know, we are being manipulated and sort of played and gamed all the time by everything, especially now with like different online platforms where, you know, they, they sort of draw you in, like, you know, platforms like TikTok, Instagram, YouTube, they're like, spend all of your time making content for this channel for the likes. And it's like, what? So we're being manipulated and into yeah. doing all that stuff all the time. And sometimes 
So yeah, maybe if if I was starting from scratch now, maybe I would. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. But maybe I wouldn't. Maybe I'd just focus on the simple things in life instead, and just the wholesome things. Maybe I would just be. Oh, I don't know. I mean, you know, these days I've got a child, you know, and all that sort of stuff. And I don't know, sometimes I kind of feel like, oh, it would be nice to just spend an afternoon sitting in a chair, reading a good book. <laughs> ah, that's a good thing. There's nothing wrong with that. That's a lovely, wholesome thing to do. Just feed yeah. your brain, feed your mind, just meditate, you know, for for an hour. And just the goodness that that can bring you, you know, uh, but we've got to pay the bills. Yeah, the pull of TikTok is much stronger. I think these days for a lot of people, there's nobody sitting down reading fucking books, man. Oh, there think, are. There, are um, still, there must be still. Yeah, of course there are. Yeah, I'm joking. But I'm curious to know, why aren't you on other social media platforms kind of promoting yourself, letting more people know about the show? Just not enough hours in the day. Um, and uh, Instagram, just, uh, I don't know. <laughs> um, I don't know. I just, I've never done it. And and I've, it's just like, there's just aren't enough hours left in, in each day. Um, yeah. It's like moments like this when it's like, oh yeah, I really should do Instagram. And then it's like, I've got 15 minutes left before I need to go home because my daughter will be back, yeah. you know, and it just isn't enough time or energy. So you can't do everything. I don't want to spread myself too thin. Um, yeah. And TikTok is, yeah, it's just like completely opposite of what I do. Completely it's like up. the polar opposite of my podcast. And I don't, I'm not so sure about it either, you know? Mm, you're suspicious of the TikTok. It's a bit, huh? a bit, it's a bit insidious, isn't it? Mm. A, bit, a little bit, yeah. Yeah. Um, Everyone's version of it is different too, right? Everyone's seeing different stuff on the For You page. Um and a lot of people believe that it's kind of like a like a Chinese spy weapon kind of thing and they're yeah. collecting all the data and what are they going to do with all this data and surveillance that they're performing on us and stuff, you know? A lot of people are worried about that. Yeah, uh, I, I can totally mm -hmm. understand, yeah. But what I don't understand is why people are terrified of TikTok as a Chinese spy app when uh, the great people of the United States of America are willfully being spied on by their own Governments and tech companies, Google, Facebook, uh, Instagram, like all these companies do the same shit. Mm -hmm. So I'm I'm just confused as to why people are suspicious of TikTok. I suspect that people aren't worried about their privacy. I suspect that um, this is propaganda and that maybe the tech companies are mad that TikTok is so good. So we have to find a way to take TikTok down. You know, what better way than to convince them they're being spied on by America's number one enemy when... Right here in San Francisco, they're, thinking, oh, they're doing the same shit. Yeah, doing like, the same thing. everyone's like rushing, falling over themselves to sign up to Chat GPT or whatever it was. Like, what was that one that that came out like a couple of years ago? That that's like a a form of like um, podcasting where you're all talking in a group. What was it called? Flicking, flipping. Um, oh, I can't remember now, but there was a huge craze for it that lasted about three months. And no one's talking about it at all anymore. It's a kind of platform where people can have these big conversations, mm -hmm. um, which are live conversations. Now, you, yeah, if this had, if we had this conversation during that month when everyone was mad about it, you'd be like instantly telling me what it was. Um, 
Damn, no. Um, uh, what, club, clubhouse or something? Clubhouse. Yeah, clubhouse. that's what it was. Yeah, that did kind of just explode and then disappear yeah. off. They the just, they just hoovered up all of our email addresses and phone numbers. You had to put your phone number in that okay. to sign up for it. I was signing up for it. It's like phone number. Uh, nah. Mm. Even though if you got, they've got your email address. You know, they, if you just yeah. accept a cookie, then they're they're basically right. in. But um, so yeah, I don't know. A lot of it's just. Uh, getting into deep, deep territory now, where basically yeah. we're just, you know, they're just farming us for data, which and all knowledge is power, as we know. And um, yeah, like all everything is now, we're just the, the we're the product. We're not the uh, the users. We're the yeah. actual, the, the end, we're the product that's being sold from this company to this company. Yeah, uh, yeah it's shady, very shady business. Um but maybe people just feel like, oh well, you know, I'm I'm happy to be spied on by my own government because <laughs> I don't know. I know like, yeah, but like you know, another like, a government from another country over there. Nah, no, no, no. Yeah, it's all very interesting. The the, the psychology of, of of it all. Yeah. It's, I don't think it's sustainable either, man. I was just talking to a friend about this last night where. Short form content is exploding. TikTok has just gone into the stratosphere and you see all the other platforms kind of copying the TikTok style with shorts, reels and stuff like that. But to be honest, man, I don't think people over the long term will prefer such uh, empty, short, quick, in your face kind of content that doesn't really have much substance and it's here and then it's gone and you watch 50 videos in 30 minutes, you don't remember anything you just watched. You're not processing that information. I don't think people are going to prefer that long term. I think it's making people kind of sad uh, and depressed. And I think, although I probably would caution somebody against starting a podcast or a long form YouTube channel, I would say if you're in it for the long term, that's a much better place to be because people are going to want substance i think that's why i like the joe rogan experience and other shows like that continue to grow and grow because they want to hear people have intelligent conversations about interesting things not just fucking nonsense i see murder i see porn i see like people getting beat up i see all types of nonsense whenever i scroll on tiktok i'm like man this is you can't sustain this bro this is having an effect on all of our brains it's not good you know absolutely yeah yeah man what are we gonna do i don't know no idea. Hmm. Yeah, that's so that's why I'm not on TikTok. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good way to wrap it up, man. Luke, I really want to thank you, man, for coming on the show. It's been great. Really, thanks for inviting it. me. Really, thank you for you know choosing to invite me. That's nice of you. And uh, you know, good luck with everything. Really, thank you, man. yeah. I enjoyed being yeah. on the show. Good conversation. It was great, man. So if people want to check you out, they can find you. Luke's English Podcast. If you're watching on YouTube, you see the logos on the screen. Uh, you're on Twitter as well, right? I'm on Twitter, at English Podcast. At English Podcast. Perfect. Well, I'm sure you're going to uh, get some people checking you out, man. But it was great. So let me go ahead and... Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. 
Let's get this dinner party started. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.